Good afternoon, Argentina. What is, is up? Javier Jase, my man with the plan. How are you doing today, brother? I am doing great, doing great. It's a beautiful day down here in Argentina. We're starting to feel the spring. I'm rocking my Willie Nelson t-shirt. I got it in Vegas a few years ago, hoping to get a new one this year. Mm. We'll, we'll be reserve. there. We'll be there. Y'all, if you are watching on LinkedIn, on YouTube, drop a one in the chat. Drop a hello in the chat. Actually, you know, just say what's up. We want to see you. Travis Owens, excited to talk to you Thursday about social media, the obstacles thereof within cannabis. We have two amazing interviews today. We are going to talk to Bradley Natras, the CEO of uh, Urban Grow. Super excited to get him back on. He had some big news this morning. That's exciting. Uh, And then we are going to talk to Isaac Bach from Alpha Root. Going to be a fantastic day of super insightful discussions. That being said, Javier, we always do one thing first. Yes, sir. The news, but first a shout out. The, the chat on LinkedIn is is taking some some force. Uh, I see Jose Maldonado tuning in from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Hello, Jose. Go check Welcome. Out Revista Crónicas. If you speak Spanish, Crónicas Magazine, Revista Crónicas. They do amazing reporting out of Puerto Rico. They're of course a partner of ElPlanteo.com. So go check out my very good friend Jose Maldonado's website for all news regarding Puerto Rico and marijuana. Marijuana, Mary Jane, that's what I'm talking about. So Javi, it seems like an interesting day of news. I don't know where you want to start. I do think, I don't know if you have this headline ready, Joe, because it doesn't look like it. So I'll call this out and then we'll turn it over to you. But Silver Spike, SSIC on the NASDAQ, loan, or uh, lens, not loans, lens to Verano, V-R-N-O-F, uh, so a nice tier, uh, nice addition to their portfolio uh, of, oh, yeah. of loans, uh, and then Verano getting what looks to be twenty one million million. That yep. is solid. It's a solid addition. I'm liking that. But Verano also seems like they have a decent amount of at least potential flexibility now that they're not buying goodness growth on their portfolio or in their uh, balance sheet. Indeed, and 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 I think they're well capitalized now. Uh, the 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 senior secured debt facility, a credit facility, is uh, up to three hundred and fifty million dollars. So they have quite a bit of cash there to roll out new products, to enter new markets. In fact, stay tuned to Benzinga.com/slash/cannabis. We have some very exciting news out of Verano. Very cool. I like that you know before any of us do. Well, yeah, never breaking an embargo, though. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Don't trade on it. You are a true editorial, stout-hearted man. I love it. But, Javi, what, what's on your mind right now, man? Tell us about it. I, I was pretty uh, intrigued by the Leafly report. Uh, mm-hmm. Leafly, one of our, our um, partner publications as well, because Benzinga is a huge subscriber of the rising tide theory, so we collaborate with everyone and then some. But Leafly put out its new cannabis harvest, harvest report, uh, noting that cannabis is the sixth most valuable crop in the U.S., even though the USDA totally ignores this. Some of the key findings from this Leafly Cannabis harvest report included. In 2022, adult use cannabis farmers in the U.S. legally grew approximately 2,800 plus metric tons of cannabis. That is uh, enough to fill 36 miles of dump trucks parked end to end. <laughs> wow, you know this this report's super interesting. Um, 
I mean, the numbers are blowing me away, but marijuana is the number one cash crop in Alaska? Talk, talk to me about Alaska, y'all. You know, Javier, you don't have to like dive into this now if you're not fully familiar, but I know zero about the Alaskan marijuana market. Some, can you fill me in? So I think they have no use, right? Uh, and I want to see what else they're growing because they, they are growing vegetables, berries, apples, potatoes, melons, dry beans, and grains. But it seems that cannabis is the number one cash crop. I'd assume because cannabis is largely grown indoors and is still profitable or can be profitable while grown indoors, it adapts pretty well to uh, the, the tough uh, climate conditions that we find in Alaska. Mm-hmm. That coupled with the fact that, you know, people are pretty far apart. There isn't a lot to do during the winter. People seem to love their weed in Alaska. Mm, I love that. Yes. Well, I mean, they love their weed everywhere, if we're going to be honest. And I will say, so far, have not heard a lot of damning reports out of THC-laced candies in Halloween buckets. Well done, cannabis community. I'm proud of you. We made it through this year mostly. There were still some reports, but those were leading up to Halloween and they don't count in this. Uh, The last thing I want to say, 13,297 American farms, adult use cannabis supports per the article. I mean, that's mind blowing to me. Mind blowing. Um, I, I don't have much more than that. That number just speaks for itself. Well, from the North, let's move to the South to Brazil, where Mr. Lula da Silva, the left-wing candidate, won the election against Jair Bolsonaro. Whether you're left-wing or right-wing, this is pretty good news for the world, for the environment. We do know that Bolsonaro had a very, um, let's say, questionable approach when it came to the environment. He didn't give a damn about the Amazon. Lula da Silva does now. The question is, what is going to happen with cannabis? Do you think that's why he won? Was all the wildfires and the, the, I mean, that made international news with what happened several years ago. crazy. The election, uh, you know, in in, in Brazil, same as in Argentina and many other countries, you have a, a first round and a second round. It's called the ballotage, right? The second round, if you don't get a big enough margin, you go to a second round. And in the second round, the face-off was between Lula da Silva and Bolsonaro. Do you know what was the the, the percentage difference? Less than 1%, the margin. So Lula got a little bit under uh, 51% and and Bolsonaro got a little bit over 49% of the votes. This was the most polarized election in Brazilian history, probably in the history of Latin America. It was such a close call. Following right in the footsteps of the good old U.S. of A., uh, I love that uh, insight, man. I appreciate that. Um, that being said, we are coming on time. We have two amazing interviews today, so we want to leave time for them. So, Javier, anything else pressing on your mind when it comes to the world of cannabis markets? I would I would refer people to benzinga.com slash cannabis to check out what's going on with uh, recreational cannabis sales in Canada, according to this very well-known analyst. Check out also SNDL, SNDL on the NASDAQ, acquiring Zenibus Business. Zenibus. Green Lane, GNLN, partnering with Leaf Trade to increase B2B visibility. Also huge. Now, yeah. One last one. 
Our lead psychedelics writer, Lara Goldstein, also interviewed uh, the founders and managers of Palo Santo. This is the largest VC fund in the psychedelic space. Uh, they recently raised, I think, $50 million for their fund. And, you know, she, she spoke with them. So she shares an insider peek at the mammoth of psychedelic VCs, Palo Santo, their investment fundamentals and specificities. So go you interviewed them. them a year ago at MJ Biz. And I think we're going to get them on hopefully uh, soon again. We love Tim. We love uh, Palo Santo crew. They're awesome. With that being said, Zinibus, weren't they? I'm frozen. No, I'm not frozen. Maybe I'm frozen. Yeah, you did for a second. I was not sure okay. it was me or it was you. No, it was me. Uh, but Zenibus, weren't they previously acquired? Was it Supreme? Uh, let's see. I, I thought that somebody else had acquired them. So I don't know. Regardless, that's something we'll look into. I'll hit you up on Cannabis Daily about that news tomorrow. Tune in. 8.20, a.m. on LinkedIn, Busy Cannabis, LinkedIn, or Twitter, uh, or find out on podcast stations. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll dive in for that you for, for you for that further. With that being said, we're going to get to our interviews now. We have to. Brad Natras, chairman and CEO at Urban Grow NASDAQ listed UGRO. Good friend of Benzinga's, good friend of ours. Let's bring him on over. There is the man, Mr. Natras. How are you, sir? Gentlemen, I'm doing wonderful, thanks. How are you today? Oh, good. We're all just preparing for MJ Biz, man. We're going to see you down there. It's exciting. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. But that being said, let's talk about you. You've been on the show several times. We love you. We love Urban Grow. Uh, You continue to build out your portfolio of a company. So why don't we start with your news today? Tell us about what happened, man. Perfect. Yeah, we uh, we had announced uh, signing a binding LOI to acquire Texas-based DBO Engineering about three weeks ago, and we announced this morning that we uh, closed the deal. So it's officially done, and they're part of the uh, the Urban Grow team now. And so it's uh, now in the last 17 months, a couple architect firms, construction management firm, and and now a uh, world-class engineering firm. So it's uh, definitely building out our capabilities uh, in the CEA space and, and uh, adding value for, for our clients, for sure. I love that. Now, question for oh, go you, ahead, Abby, uh, go ahead. regarding the acquisition, and it's, it's sure, the purchase price. It seemed affordable. You, you paid about $6.1 million, even though the company generated $5.5 million in revenue last year. How does that math work? Right, because I'm I'm usually looking at acquisitions at three x, four x, five x revenue. Right, you know, it's there is a contingent earnout on top of that, so it's about seven point one in total. But uh, on this particular acquisition, we negotiated a seller's note as well. So the company in the trailing twelve months had recognized about five point five million of revenues. The company also kicks out about 20% of uh, net profit. So on that seller's note, really the, the cash flow we're generating on a quarterly basis will cover that cash payment back. And we did that because we, we entered the quarter, entered Q3 with just under $22 million of cash. And in today's environment in the cannabis space, we have to, we have to protect that uh, every step of the way. But uh, over and above the trailing 12 months, Havi, that 
that they had uh, recognized. Urban Grow has, geez, about three, four million of uh, engineering services uh, contracts that will add in to their um, add into their business as well. So it's going to really be a synergistic, accretive acquisition. Our companies have already started working together, both in the CEA space and then outside of the CEA space as well. And uh, with our new design, build, go-to-market strategy, uh, this was a this was a key piece. But it's just it's you know it, about uh, a quarter of the purchase price heavy was stock. And uh, I feel right now with with 22 million cash and a 45 million dollar market cap, and uh, Urban Urban Grows in a great place. And so the four partners, uh, led by Jason Dawson, the managing partner, they all get a piece of uh, of, of Urban Grow and a Nasdaq traded company. And together, you know, sharing the vision of where we're going. We really believe there's a tremendous upside there. So there's the cash component spread out, you know, one payment at, at close and then the rest spread, uh, spread out over four quarters. But then there's that equity component as well. And then uh, contingent earnout, just based upon them uh, continuing to hit their numbers. Fantastic. So it's a win-win, definitely a win-win. We had 24 employees. It puts us at, uh, if you can believe it now, uh, just over 150 employees, architects, engineers, construction management personnel, horticulturists, and, uh, and and we're going to market with full professional services, either a la carte or together, and then uh, with our dev- full design build offering as well. Now, so it's a great, great place for Urban Grow. Now, Brad, all of these services, uh, all these partners, I should say, are, are U.S.-based, right? They're domestic? Yep, they are. Yep, all, okay. all so far. But Urban Grow? operate in, in the European market. We do have an office in the Netherlands, but... They're all U.S. based. Yeah, that's office. where I was going. Uh, you are an international company. You know, you work in tons of different countries. So I'm curious. Um, you know, are all of these companies um, able to transcend these these market lines? You know, does it take you further uh, in terms of what you can do in these other countries as well? I, I'm curious about how far this expands you internationally as well. Definitely, uh, it helps uh, with the. Um you know, the brain collection of urban growth. So for example, we're working in maybe 10 European companies right now. And as we move from engineering architecture and construction docs and move into hopefully design build in Europe, we're specifying the mechanical systems into a facility. Well, now we have uh, five mechanical engineers at, uh, at DVO and they can be on the calls. They can help specify it. And we can look at purpose built mechanical systems or cooling. Uh, we can also look at uh, other more commercial systems as well. So we always like to present three to five options on each equipment system to a client, but now we have that brain power inside the company to talk through it all, the positives, the negatives of, uh, of each of those systems. So it's we've already been uh, utilizing a DVO for the last about three months. And so we're hitting the ground running for sure. Sprinting. Nice. Got to ask you about this. You know, you're one of the few, uh, or relatively few, cannabis-related businesses trading on the Nasdaq, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. we recently heard that Canopy is spinning out or spinning off its UAS operations into a new LLC, uh, intending or potentially, you know, paving the way to uplist on the Nasdaq. That is what they said, and then the Nasdaq said this is not going to work, right? 
How do you see it? How does it affect other cannabis-related businesses trading on the NASDAQ? Do you feel like you're in under deeper scrutiny than you used to be? Does it only cement your position in the NASDAQ as a non-plant touching business? How does this affect the NASDAQ-traded cannabis-related businesses? So we, as an ancillary company, conducting business in, in the CA space and and design building and designing cannabis uh, growth, we don't touch the plant. So that's the key from the NASDAQ standpoint is we don't touch the plant. Um, you know, does it cement our position? I, I would, I hope all MSOs and single state operators have the opportunity in the near term to to list on the, the larger indexes. It's, it, it's so important because it'll allow then institutional funding to flow into their companies. They're right now, you know, they're operating with uh, one high, one hand tied behind their back. And I think, you know, you'll you'll see the confidence level of of safe passing in one form or another uh, during the lame duck session after the uh, after the election. Uh, I think you'll see it pass, and one of those could be allowing them to list on the Nasdaq. And so it'll be it'll be interesting times for sure. But, um, you know, it's it, it's really fair that everyone's on there that that can and meets all the qualifications. But until uh, the industry changes, until legalization is is closer, it's going to be on a case by case basis. And uh, that's just the reality of the industry. But but I'll tell you, you know, that's why I believe in state rights. We've talked about this uh, mm -hmm. a lot. And no interstate commerce. It's it's the pioneers, the early ancillary companies, the early MSOs and single state operators. Um, you know that they, they deserve that protection. So as legalization approaches and we're closer in the next probably three years, I think state rights is a key uh, that we all want to uh, we all want to um, rely on and, and vote upon. Now, Brad, just as kind of a this is more educational for me because I don't think I've ever asked you in the several times that we've interviewed, but mm -hmm. what is, uh, do you work with hemp companies as well uh, in that sense, or is it really focused on the marijuana side in cannabis? So in, uh, from a CEA standpoint is predominantly uh, all cannabis. And then we've um, also crossed over into food, vertical farming as well. Uh, we could work on hemp. We just have never uh, been asked. But the uh, the other area, you know, when we've been making these uh, acquisitions, Elliot, I think we've talked about this before. Our diversified model is playing a huge role right now, as uh, as the cannabis industry is going through a, a rather difficult time. So when we've made these acquisitions, they have non CEA contracts, whether it's in industrial or healthcare education, whether it's designing a, a school or a hospital or design building a maybe a small manufacturing facility for a consumer backage goods company. But I love that. That side of the business is really busy right now. So that enables us to keep hiring, uh, keep everyone working. And then when cannabis starts to recover, which we anticipate in Q2, we'll be ready. And we'll have 150, 200 employees at the time ready to, uh, to step in and get people to market as quickly as possible. That's really cool. Brad, anything yeah. else on the horizon, man? I think you, you, uh, you released – uh, I think a stat saying you were looking at 50 million in signed contracts in Q3. Um, how are we, can we look at that to grow? I mean, no guidance here, you know, everybody, you know, can wait for the releases as they come out, but I'm curious, what can we look for uh, to close out the year for Urban Row? 
Well, Q3 was was bittersweet, right? It was bitter in terms of it was our trough quarter in terms of performance. The uh, the slowdown in the in the cannabis sector, you know, on, on the design, architecture, and engineering side, we've been very busy. A couple dozen projects we're working on, but clients are stopping right right at or before construction docks as they wait for you know, the delayed states to award licenses and they get their license and then the funding will follow. Then they'll move into the, uh, to the, uh, to the build side. But um, in terms of suite, it's the $50 million plus in design build contracts. So from a total contract value standpoint, it was great quarter, you know, signed a lot of business. Our backlog is built up of signed contracts with deposits received. So it will be recognized in the following quarters, anywhere from one to two quarters on equipment um, to you know six to eight quarters on a full design build. On the industrial design build, it's, it's usually within three quarters. But you know, the momentum that we have on in in you know the industrial side and also in the design side of CEA is strong. You'll see that carry through into Q4. Q3 was definitely a, an outlier, a trough quarter. And uh, we're doing everything we can to get back to a positive adjusted EBITDA performance uh, as soon as possible. And uh, we're going to have a lot of momentum uh, entering entering 2023. Our earnings call for Q3 is on, uh, on November 10th. And uh, we've guided on that performance already. So it's out there. It's nice. Um, but look forward to talking about the future a little bit more on that call as well. Awesome. Well, I will say this. I'm excited to see you in November in MJ Business, it is November. I'm excited to see you in a few weeks at MJ BizCon because I will say Bradley Natras had the best suit at our Miami Cannabis oh. Capital Conference. <laughs> Hands down, you're the best looking guy at the event, man. Uh, that being oh. said, really excited, man. I, I'm really excited for you. It seems like you have spent a lot of time over the past year plus just really building out the product of your company. Uh, and that to yeah. me is something that not a lot of, we don't, we haven't seen a lot in, in this industry. It's been more, uh, I feel like kind of surfacely touching a lot, but it seems like you've been very operationally driven. I, I can't thank you enough. You know, we've, we've remained very, very in line with the vision we set out when we uplisted to the NASDAQ to, to be the leader in the world when it comes to professional services to the controlled environment ag segment and now design build capabilities. And we stuck to that. We're building a services company. And uh, now that diversified model is really paying off when it's tough in, in one sector. But you know, it, it all comes down to the team. I've got a leadership team of about 20 individuals. We're adding four more with the DVO acquisition. Uh, passion for what we do, being the best at it, our culture's never been better. The team's really aligned on the vision of where we're going in, in 23 and beyond. But it's uh, we're tirelessly working to to deliver value for our clients, and then of course the returns for our shareholders. Then they go hand in hand. <laughs> I love that. Bradley Detras, CEO and Chairman, Nasdaq listed UGRO Urban Grow. Really appreciate you joining us again, my friend. We will see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate you both. Thank you. All right, Javi, always a pleasure to talk to Brad. Love that. And by the way, a shout out to our producer, Rohan, who is filling in for Aaron today and killing it with the timing, getting it yeah. all 
Right. Are you trying to say he's better than AT? Are we going to have you saying that? I don't know. Let the chat decide. I'm not, I'm not touching that. Sparking an internal war between Rohan and Aaron. Oh, I see you, Avi. You're in Argentina. You don't have to deal with any of this. You're not in the office. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, Javi, honestly, I do love talking to Brad. I think his most recent acquisition, getting that engineering, mechanical engineering uh, aspect to his product is awesome. Uh, I am interested to see how this translates to international partnerships. Uh, I would think they'll probably need some more firms internationally, but that's just my uneducated assumption. Uh, but I do think they're a powerhouse to be reckoned with when it comes to ancillary services domestically. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Let's, let's our next guest. I was just about to say that. All right, let's do it. Rohan, let's bring him over. Isaac Bach, Managing Director of First Time Guest, Alpha Root. All right. All right, Isaac. Welcome in, my friend. Glad to have you. How are you? Good, man. How are you guys doing today? We're good, man. We're chilling. We're talking about the markets. We're talking about what cannabis growers need to succeed. And that's oh, where we bring you in. Absolutely. Right here. What, what, what actor are you similar to? You look very similar to some actor. That might be the nicest thing I've ever heard. Terrible. Been on the show for three seconds. You guys give me the best compliment I've had in a while. So thank you. <laughs> you look famous and great, Isaac. That's your intro. Uh, I don't, we even need to do a podcast now. I think that's it. Uh, yeah, that's it. You, you can sign off. <laughs> yeah. Isaac, my friend, tell us about you, man. How'd you get into cannabis? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we take on the kind of least interesting part of the cannabis industry, and that's the insurance sector. So, I started my career in insurance at Marsh and McLennan, which is one of the larger brokerages, um, and then actually moved over to Alfred's sister company, FounderShield, in late 2016. Uh, FounderShield was more focused on kind of the venture-backed tech and emerging industries space. And so around 2014, even before I joined, cannabis became a big focus in there. So kind of launched the Alfred brand initially um, in 2016. Um, kept it relatively in-house at that time. And then, you know, I started working with a lot of these companies. Um, I've had some, you know, injury related issues that I turned to the cannabis plant and being a Denver native, I've been around it for uh, most of my life. So very familiar with it. When the opportunity arose to work with them on a professional level, I kind of jumped at it with my partner, uh, Eric Schneider, who I think some of the Benzinga team is very familiar with. And so, um, we've been doing this since, you know, 2020 as our main focus, but I've been working with cannabis companies since I, I joined the Founder Shield team in 2016. Yeah. Pretty cool. One of the things that you say is we don't merely broker insurance. Uh, what do you mean by that? And can you elaborate yeah. on that a little bit? Uh, absolutely. So I think one of the kind of cornerstones of our organization is we don't want to be another vendor. Um, a lot of kind of ancillary service providers and the financial services sectors can end up kind of being a vendor relationship where all you do is provide the service you're paid for, right? Like for us, it would just be procuring insurance. Um, so we don't near only do that. We also look to build community within the cannabis industry. So we're part of a lot of great organizations, partner with people like the Benzinga team um, and really ingratiate ourselves with the cannabis industry so we can help build out an ecosystem for our clients. So that way, if a company comes to us and says, hey, we need some banking help, we have an answer for that. Hey, we need a marketing person. We have an answer for that. So we're kind of, you know, 
more than just your average broker in terms of helping find additional services should our clients need it. I love it when companies do that, man. Now, you know, it, you're not the first, but you're not, there's not nearly enough of you in, in cannabis right. doing that and providing that type of full fledged holistic service to, I mean, maybe you were the first, maybe you're just not the first I've spoken <laughs> to. So we'll say that you're the first, just not the first in my <laughs> ecosystem. But that being said, I want to go to something that we're diving in quick here because Honestly, we, we have talked a good amount. Uh, we may be the only cannabis podcast that has talked about insurance <laughs> as much as we have. But that being said, Isaac, I want your expertise here, man. A lot of our guests will say they make sure that companies know the gaps in their coverage, the gaps yes. in their insurance. Why does that seem to be such a persistent issue in, in this industry? I mean, is there a ton of people scamming? These operators, yeah. are we just being dumb? I, I'm so curious, like, why are there so many gaps to start? So I think first and foremost, staying back to kind of the early stages of the industry, there's a lack of education, both on the client side as well as the broker side. Cannabis was a relatively new in, uh, industry for insurance people, so they weren't really aware of what the needs were of the industry. So the initial policies may have been extremely restrictive in ways that weren't necessarily intended to scam people. Um, and then, you know, initial cannabis, you know, companies might not have had a huge experience of purchasing commercial insurance. So there's kind of a disconnect there as the cannabis industry matured, a lot of carriers and brokers didn't necessarily provide the educational piece back to them in terms of what is actually excluded and a lot of that, again, was due to a lack of underwriting information from the carriers. They didn't know what, you know, what claims would be um, and how to cover those. So they basically excluded everything. It has gotten a little bit better. And the other thing that a lot of brokers say from a gaps perspective, is just additional lines of coverage. Um, you know, you guys highlighted it in the, the start and then in your interview with Brad. Uh, cash is king right now in the cannabis industry. So when you review a competitor's program from our perspective, so if we're working with a client who's currently using a different broker, there may be gaps in coverage from them not having a certain type of policy, but that could just be because cash is too tight for them to purchase it at that time. Whether it's a true risk or not, um, it is a gap. It should be addressed. If that wasn't addressed by their broker, it's a problem. But those are the sorts of things that kind of exist now. Um, and then on a policy by policy basis, yeah, there's some insurance carriers that provide better coverage than others. So uh, it's important to work with someone who knows those differences and where to find them and how to fix them. I see you work with, with many different verticals in, in cannabis, but I'm particularly interested in your foray into the psychedelic space. You are reading my mind today, Javier. That was my next question. Uh, I, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, you got to think harder now. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, many of, of us in, in cannabis are, of course, very interested in the psychedelic space. There are similarities, there are differences. Why do you get into the psychedelic space? What are you doing there? How is it similar from cannabis? How is it different from cannabis? Yeah, so kind of to what you just said, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between the groups of people who are doing cannabis and psychedelics um, related companies. So for us and the networks we're involved in, um, it was a pretty big no-brainer for us to start working with these companies and figuring out solutions on that front. Um, and it's one of those things where we kind of view ourselves as a more of a holistic medicine and kind of natural plant product 
brokerage. Um, yes, Canvas is our biggest vertical right now because um, that's the biggest vertical in that space. So um, as psychedelics come online, it will be more of a focus. Um, right now, a lot of what we work on is on the management liability side of things. So directors and officers coverage. Um, if you look at companies that are doing kind of retreats outside the U.S., but they're a U.S.-based company, um, if they've taken on outside investment, we're looking to procure DNO coverage for them. Um, with states like Oregon coming online as early as next year, um, there is a push to you know provide coverage for you know things like psilocybin-related retreats, um, you know those sorts of therapies for both the companies who may be providing them as well as the individual practitioners. So. Um, that's kind of where it is on that piece. And then we do work with some ketamine clinics and some other, you know, more well, widely accepted, um, psychedelics, um, you know, if that's how you want to classify those. So it is one of those things that we're, uh, we're working into that industry as it becomes available. And we're working with carriers to try to educate them and see where their comfort level lies as it becomes more and more prevalent. Can you talk to us about what needs to happen for, uh, the normalization of insurance in this industry? Is it just yeah. federal legalization? Is it just safe banking or, or can it happen before? Uh, I'm curious, like when is that something that we can look for as investors into these companies to know that my investment is protected? It's a great question. Um, so we're starting to see it a lot more on the hemp side already. Um, you know, even as recently as a year ago, um, some of the larger named insurers weren't interested in it. And now they're starting to get interested in the hemp um, side of things. So I would take that as a positive sign. I do think the biggest domino to fall for the insurance industry to feel more comfortable is safe banking, um, more so than federal legalization. If these insurance carriers are not necessarily worried about um, companies being able to pay with a U.S. bank account, there being some level of recourse, I think that will kind of help jumpstart more interest. But quite frankly, there is more interest in it right now. Um, we've seen some carriers kind of dip their toe in the water in various types of coverages. Um, and it has gotten better. When we first started, um, there was maybe five total insurance carriers who had touched cannabis. And now um, it's a lot greater than that. And we've had some you know, great new entrants into the space over the last 12 to 18 months. So um, it's definitely progressing in the right, right way. But I would say safe banking is probably the biggest domino to fall. Um, I mean, obviously, if it goes federal, everyone will jump in as soon as things are up and running. And, you know, what what happens to more specialized providers like Alfaru when when some of the bigger players come in when, I don't know, like uh, Allen's or MetLife or Zurich, uh, I don't know others. <laughs> yeah. Cigna, so, AIG, whatever. So those are, those companies are more on the carrier side. So that's a benefit to us. Um, so that would be great because more capacity in the space for our clients. Um, when you're talking about on the brokerage side, so direct competitors of ours, you know, some of the largest brokerages in the uh, in the insurance industry are already um, involved in the cannabis space. What I would say is they're kind of doing um, a quasi cannabis life science practice, not full blown cannabis. And the biggest differentiator for us right now is um, we dive heavily into the cannabis and psychedelic spaces in terms of the people we surround ourselves with. The events we go to are a lot more focused on the industry itself. Um, we have a great partnership with the Trailblazers community. We partner with the Arcview Group. So um, we're doing a lot of things focused specifically on 
um, you know, the industry itself and being members of that community first and then providing our services kind of secondary. I do have just, uh, it's less of an insurance focused question and more of a business focused question. How important is it right now for service providing companies to achieve the same type of brand visibility as those they support? Yeah, it's a, I would say it's very important for us um, as a smaller player. You know, if you go to, you know, one of our competitors, like a hub or Aon or something like that, by and large business people are familiar with those names um, when it comes to commercial insurance. So for us, creating a brand um, and brand awareness has been probably our biggest initiative in 2022. Um, we spent a lot of time, uh, did a whole rebrand, um, got our name out there a lot more this year. So um, it's extremely important for us to be viewed kind of in the same level as our top tier clients. So we want to push our name up to, you know, those top level um, operators themselves and be viewed as a large cannabis company um, who just happens to do insurance. Awesome. Isaac Bach, anything else you want to leave us with, man? Like what can we look for uh, from, from you guys? Uh, anything else you want our investor community, our financial community, our cannabis community to be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, we're, you know, cause it's an investor financial based community. We're, uh, we're experts in the directors and officers space. Um, we helped launch our sister company, Scale Underdings Cannabis Program. Um, we're a preferred provider of the OTC and the NAS uh, and the Canadian Stock Exchange, excuse me. So, um, nice. and then one of our sister companies, who's part of the Baldwin Risk Partners, who's our new parent company, um, we were acquired back in 2021. Um, you know, they're a preferred provider of the NASDAQ and we help them with their cannabis placement. So anything we can do for, uh, any public or private DNO needs, we're, we're your, uh, we're your go-to for the cannabis industry. Love it. Isaac Bach, managing director of Alpha Root. Thank you for joining us. We will have you on again for sure. Let's catch up after we hopefully see something in this lame duck session. Maybe that'll change the business as we know it, man. Absolutely. Thank you again, guys. And I'll see you in a few weeks. Yes, sir. Be well. Awesome. Javi, two great interviews today, man. Very insightful guests. Very, what, why do they call it lame duck session? What does it mean? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I'd like to guess. I, I will provide you a guess. And my guess is um, they call the losing party a lame duck. Uh, I don't know. I really, I really have no idea. It's terrible. It has nothing to do with politics. I don't know. There's some reason for it. If you know, drop your answer in the chat. We may be off by the time we actually get to it. But that being said, Javi, it does look somewhat promising. Chuck Schumer saying in, was it a campaign speech or a debate or something that he's working with multiple Republican senators on getting something done soon on marijuana reform. So let's hope that's not just jargon he's using on the campaign trail. Fingers crossed. Are we doing Fingers a review crossed. or are we not doing a review? We ain't Fingers. got no time. We ain't got no time. I'm going to tease it then. I'm going to tease it. Yes, I'm going to show it. you a little something. My good friends at Envola in Chile, they have about half a million subscribers on YouTube. They do very cool stuff. They gave me a bunch of different things to try out myself. I'm going to show you some of them. And I'm going to review them on Thursday if we have some time. We're going to start with Thursday. We're going to start with your review Thursday because... Uh, we got to get to it. I love your reviews, Javi. Honestly, I didn't even know you had one today. Uh, that being said, Javier Haas, 
Love your face. If you guys are at MJ BizCon in a few weeks, we will be there. Reach out to us on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Uh, both of us are very searchable and present. Uh, with that being said, Benzinga.com slash cannabis. All your news throughout the day. Cannabis Daily. It's a podcast every morning. Cannabis Insider. Share the podcast with your friends. That's it for today. Javi, any, anything else, man? Go tweet to Elon Musk maybe and ask him not to charge for the blue ticks on Twitter. You um, fought so hard to get a blue tick and now you have to pay for it. <laughs> what's the point? Like every other platform is paying, paying content creators. And this guy's like, you know what? If you want to be on a platform. And you guys like, have no oh, idea. Javi like, fought for a decade to get that blue check. He finally got the blue check last oh, year and now he has to pay for it. Oh my God! It's well, it's a business expense. I'm gonna at least deduct it from taxes. <laughs> All right, y'all. IRS. Feel free to laugh at Hobby with me. I think it's hysterical. Um, I would probably still take the blue check if I could get one, but I'm not cool enough. But that being said, we will see you guys again on Thursday, four Eastern time sharp. Until then, my friends. Peace. <laughs>